Broadcasting live from the Business Radio X studios in Atlanta, Georgia, it's time for Top Docs Radio. Brought to you by Hyperbaric Physicians of Georgia, a comprehensive wound resolution and UHMS accredited hyperbaric medicine practice with four offices to serve you. Find us on the web at www.hbomdga.com. Facebook and Twitter at HBOMDGA. Good afternoon, everyone. It's C.W. Hall, your host here on Top Docs Radio. Thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today. And as always, we're in our series with the Medical Association of Georgia, and they join us every uh, second Tuesday of the month, so we're really pleased to uh, have them and their guests to be a part of our show today. But uh, it's like first, part of the little family now. It's Krista Baruti on the board. Hello. How Producer you doing, extraordinaire. Very, very well. I can't believe that we're past Thanksgiving and we're halfway to Christmas I already. I know. The other day somebody was like, well, I'm done Christmas shopping. I was like, what? It's, and then I was like, That's oh impossible. my gosh, it's December. Like, it's time. I haven't purchased anything. I haven't either, except for your shoes. <laughs> uh, see, now you know what I, <laughs> I, what I want. I've got to get you lined up for my size. That's right. <laughs> But uh, we'll get on and, and meet our guest today. We're going to be talking about uh, the important role that uh, internationally trained medical students and, and, and graduates of those schools that they play here in the United States. I uh, saw an interesting statistic the other day that talked about the fact that it, a little over 25% of the health care delivered by physicians in our country is done so by physicians who are graduates of an international medical school. And, um, and joining us today in the studio is Kate Boyinga, uh, and she's in, in a role dealing with the membership for the Medical Association of Georgia and has certainly had a hand in helping them uh, build the organization out to some of its highest level of membership, over 7,500 members in the state of Georgia, which is quite impressive. So thanks for taking time out of your day to join us on the show today, Kate. Thank you. And uh, we've got uh, Dr. Manaj Shah, obstetrician and gynecologist out of May. Um, president of uh, the Medical Association of Georgia and uh, also an international medical graduate who can share some firsthand experience on what the process is like to become a, a physician licensed and boarded and so forth in the United States when graduating from a, a foreign college. So thanks for taking time out of your busy day. I know you had to travel a ways to get here too. So thanks a lot, Dr. Shaw. Thank you for inviting us for this program. Well, uh, you know, Kate, I'll start with you. You, you, you know, we... we we talked about the fact that uh, you're, you're involved with membership, and a lot of that uh, you know, involves, obviously, international uh, trained physicians. So kind of tie those two together. You know, tell me about um, your, your role as it relates to introducing physicians in the community to the Medical Association of Georgia and a little bit about why does it make sense to be a member, because I know there are some benefits for, for uh, taking advantage of the, uh, the learning of offerings and so forth that you have there at the Medical Association of Georgia. Sure. Uh, like you said, we have about 7,500 physician members. Uh, we represent all physicians across the entire state, every corner of the state, every specialty, uh, and we're one of the or only organizations that does that. Um, we've had a 35% increase in our membership since 2010. We're one of the only states in the country that have had been able to have that success. Uh, and the main way that we've done that is by targeting large group physician members, um, hospitals, um, IPAs, those types of things, um, and bringing in physicians in, you know, two to 300 physicians at a time. And one of the things that I'm sure you talk about when you're interfacing with these groups that uh, aren't currently a member of the Medical Association of Georgia would have to deal with the fact that 
one of the big things that the association does uh, on behalf of physicians is is give them a voice as it relates to the types of laws that are being passed both at the state and federal level that very much affect how we deliver health care in our in our communities and um, you know and obviously with the great impact on our patients so I'm sure that's kind of a key component but then there's also educational offerings and ways that the the members of the medical association can come together through things like town hall meetings and things like that where information can be shared so our biggest forum is our House of Delegates meeting um, that's where um, the international medical graduate section actually has its own uh, dedicated delegate there um, it's where physicians come together and they vote on it's our our policy making body and where they vote vote on the policy that the medical association will take to the legislature in the upcoming year well can you talk about you know what exactly is a you know we talk about international medical graduate you know what are they and why are they important they are an international medical graduate is anyone that uh went to medical school outside of either the United States or Canada. Uh, We have a medical graduate section. Uh, We have about 400 physicians that are a part of that. And, you know, just because someone graduated from a medical college abroad doesn't necessarily mean they're they may not be an international individual. They may not have been born outside the United States, but they may have gone to college elsewhere. And, you know, we've seen that those folks can come and be, you know, very, you know, very strong contributors to the delivery of our health care. Today, there are many physicians who are born here, who has done their undergraduate degree here, and somehow they may not get admission into the medical school in the United States. So they go outside. I mean, they go to Caribbean islands, they go to Poland. So these are like a U.S. citizen. They are just like anybody like us. And uh, and uh, they come in. The, what they do is, first two years, they usually do in the college there as far as theoretical education. Mm-hmm. But when they come to the practical education, like rotations, they come to the United States. Usually, a lot of different places they go. They are more likely to go to Northeast, like uh, New York, Pennsylvania, New Jersey. Somehow, they have more programs there where they can go there. Georgia, we have some, but, but I think it's good to have them more here so that they get familiar with it, right. and then they will practice in this area. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you're, you know, that's one of the values of having folks train locally is because you know you spend several years going through the process of your training and if you're able to then layer on top of that your residency program of whatever specialty that you're going to be practicing in I mean by that point in time I'm sure people are ready to kind of put down roots you've you know been living someplace for several years and so keeping them here is, is of great importance and you know one of the things that I know that that makes this group of, of providers who are contributing to the delivery of healthcare in our country is the fact that, you know, as our population ages, um, you know, uh, there's more and more, the, the number of elderly people is, is increasing rapidly. And obviously we know that that's a group that, you know, they, they're the ones that need, you know, a, a high level of healthcare. That's the main reason we see the shortage of physicians today. Yes. Because, the more the senior we have, and every every day we have 10,000 uh, baby boomers become a senior. So you can see that large number of population is getting into that age group. These are the people who have more sicknesses. They have more heart problems, high blood pressure, diabetes, arthritis. So all they need is more care. 
So we need more primary care. We need more uh, family practitioners. We need all specialty, but we need those right. first. And, you know, I know that there was a period of time, probably, what, 15, 20 years ago, maybe a little bit more, where they decided there was actually excess supply, and they limited the, the number of, like, residency programs and medical schools. They, they, they said for a period of time, no more. See, actually, in 1965, uh, before that, they thought we're going to have oversupply of physicians. <laughs> And they cut down How the number of How short-sighted could you be? <laughs> I mean, you got to think that uh, our population is going to get older, and there's more of us more. here, so it's going to be an expanding population. It's kind of crazy that they didn't think about that, but no, here but we that, are. At that time, we started the Medicare program in 1965. Suddenly, there were a large number of population who never got a health care. Now, they got that Medicare card. They can go to any physicians. They can get a health care. So suddenly, the number of... Uh, Physicians needed got increased. That's the one of the reasons the IMG came into picture. So, what's the process like? If I'm if I've trained, you know, let's let's go through. You know, you're the perfect example. You trained in medical school in India and then immigrated to the United States and finished your training here. So, what's the process like? If I if I if I train abroad and then want to practice in the United States or finish my training in the United States, take me through it from that point to here. Let me give you just my personal example. It's a little older, but still let me give you one. So I finished my medical school in 1970 in India. And after that, I was looking for going outside, look for better uh, education. I was looking for United States. So I give an exam. At that time, we called that ECFMG, mm -hmm. Educational mm -hmm. Council for Foreign Medical Graduate. Mm -hmm. Those days, the exam were not given in India, so I went to Sri Lanka and gave my exam. I passed my exam, and after that, uh, I applied for a uh, residency program, and I applied for at least 15 places, and all the 15 places offered me the residency by giving a telegram that, please come to our place. And at that time, we came in with what we call an exchange visa program. We call J-1 visa. J-1 visa or an exchange visa. Okay. The exchange visa program, what does it mean is you get your residency here. Right. After finishing your residency, you go back to your country of origin for two years. Then only you can come back in this country again. What's the, what's the purpose of that? The time they were thinking this is we want to train foreign graduates and make them better. And we don't want to steal physicians or uh, educated people from uh, third world country. That was the thinking at that time. I see. But somehow in 1971, they changed the rule. And uh, I was able to apply for immigration. Now, things have changed. Today, if somebody wants to come as a physician here, just like uh, you had to finish your MD degree, from a recognized medical school. Right. ECFMG decided that these are the schools which qualify. They have enough professors, they have enough students. Once they decided this school, their name comes in that. California is very selective. It does not select all the schools. It will look for certain schools which have definitely number of uh, teachers are there, program is good. So a given state can look and say, these are our rules for 
physicians coming from abroad, they have to have trained at one of these particular programs for you to become licensed in our state. Is that, is that what you're saying? Or to finish their training in our state? No. So the California is the only one has decided because it costs a lot of money to I see. find out if your school is good, if right. school is not good. Yeah. So Georgia also follow the California's program. So if the school is approved by California, Georgia also approves it. I see. So, you, so first of all, so you have to be approved by one of the school. You have to have your finished your MD degree there. Then you come here, and you have to give USMLE 1, USMLE 2. These are the same exam the U.S. graduates give. Right. And also, they have to give you a clinical skill and clinical knowledge. Now, these exams are only given at special centers, like um, one is the Philadelphia. So uh, the physician go there, he has to take two days there, and they have a live model patient. So, okay, like a patient of depression. So she will have a lot of symptoms. The physician asks questions, what problems you have, and he has to make a right diagnosis. So it's actually a written and oral exam. Both. Gotcha. This is, a, and this is a, not just oral. You have to have a... Uh, like a clinical... De- clinical. You know, your, your, your actually demonstration, you know, of, of your clinical diagnostic skills. So you have to have that clinical knowledge. Yeah. So once you pass those things, then you can apply for residency program. I see. Unless you get residency, you cannot get a license. Right. So you have to have a one year of minimum... Residency. Internal medicine or primary care of it or, or just a residency Resident a year. Usually most of the time residency is three to four years. The bet- bottleneck is the residency program. Yeah, because those are limited. There's not very many slots, and that's for everybody. It's not just the, there's not like a section for international graduates. It's everybody. But for everybody. See, what happened was the Medicare funded the residency program. Mm-hmm. In 1997, there was a balanced budget program came. When they passed this law, they limited the number of residency programs we are going to support, Medicare. Anymore, we are not going to support anymore. Now, what happening is we are producing more MDs in the U.S. Like if you look at the number of seats in uh, Medical College of Georgia, went from 140, 140 to 190. Same way with Emory. Now, also Medical College, Georgia opened a, another campus in Athens. Mm-hmm. Mercer's opened another camp- campus in Savannah. So we are producing more and more MDs. But the residency seats have not increased. Residency seats have not now, increased. Now, can a residency, I, I, I just learned something in, in that I didn't realize, I was ignorant of the fact that the, you know, the Medicare program you know, funded, if you will, uh, the residency programs. Are they, would they not be able to survive without... The Medicare element, would there be funding available through other means or just through the revenues generated by the care they're providing? No, the thing is, Georgia did good thing. Last time, they committed about $600,000 in their giving to the different program. Uh-huh. Let me tell you my example of my town. In Warner Robin, we have a Houston Medical Center. And uh, three years ago, we started family practice residency program. So we take six family practice residents each year. And the Georgia, state of Georgia helped us. So I think the next thing we need to do is more money coming like that, but we need to change the... But you, when you think about the, the shortage, and particularly in the rural communities, you know, as it relates to primary care, I mean, that's, it's one of the toughest 
things to try to overcome is recruiting and, and filling a spot in, in a rural space. And I know that many of the inter- international graduates, you know, go to fill some of those positions somewhat as a requirement. Isn't that a piece, or at least it was, I'm not sure if it still is, you can talk to that, because um, many of the students that were coming in on the J-1 visas to, to begin work, part of their commitment was that they would go to an underserved area for a period of time. That's still the case? Yes. See, what happened is, as I explained earlier, J-1 or an exchange visitor visa, the doctor has to go back for two years. Yeah. But if you don't want to go and you want to have a waiver, you work at the uh, VA hospital. Okay. So the J-1 waiver is the, th- is the physician who's going to spend the two years in an underserved area. Uh, yes, right. I see. So okay. the underserved area gotcha. or a VA hospital. So you actually have that choice? or uh, It's available. It, it, it's it, it, not it, that easy. Okay. But what, uh, what, what influences whether you have that option available to you? Is it you know things like test scores and so forth, your, your academic performance along the way? Or? No, it's the number of seats available. Uh-huh. So they are not as many seats are available. But the one good thing about that one is, like I tell you, in my town, there are quite a few physicians who came in as a J-1 visa. Mm-hmm. They came in, they started their practice. Once you start your practice, you develop patient relationship, you know other doctors, so they want to stay there, and they usually stay in that area. So that's the one advantage of that J-1 visa. Mm-hmm. What I'd like you to tell, ask, tell you is about the problem, the new physician coming in is the residency program. Let me tell you my example. I had a nephew, he came about 15 years ago. And uh, he finishes uh, MB, MBBS degree or MD degree in India. Then he did his US MLE one, US MLE two, those skill exam, clinical skill exam. He passed all of this exam. Then he started looking for residency. He just can't find one. So we have what we call an observative. Observative means the physician follow another physicians. Just follow. They don't touch the patient, so there is no malpractice difficulty. Right. And uh, it's hard to find one. Mercer used to have that program that time, and then when he started applying, they said we closed that program. <laughs> Luckily. He got a job in a research at the Marshall. And then he went to ground round with these physicians. And one of the senior guys liked him. So he said, okay, I'll give you observative. You follow with me. So he followed with them for six months. So now he got a good recommendation letter. So he got an admission at Mary in Tennessee. And then he wanted to be an internal medicine doctor. Right. But he got in psychiatry, he became a psychiatrist. So he did it. So So if you're running into, if you're an international medical graduate and you're running into the situation that you described where I'm applying to residency programs but I'm not finding a seat available, the if you're able to locate somebody that would do the observancy, observancy, then that's a period of several months where you're establishing relationships, you're getting obviously exposed to some clinical information and learning. It's an academic type engagement on on the job with, with real patients. Then from that, then you can actually get references that will then now empower you to be more competitive for matching with a residency program. That's very true, but things have really changed, really changed. Let me give you a couple of examples. <clears throat> 
recently there is a, a female physician she's from uh, Italy she's an OBGYN in Italy then she came here four years ago she's in Atlanta she came to see us in Warner Robin our IPA that day I was not there so I just talked to her on the phone she has done some observation she's still not able to get it so it's very hard let's see another girl who did her medical school in India. She was a gold medalist, means she was the first ranking. She gave her USMLE 1, USMLE 2. She was like a top 10%, so the score is great. I mean, yeah. she still can't find one. It's the three years. There is a, another US citizen, you know, he was born here, who did his uh, undergraduate year. He went to one of the Caribbean schools. Yeah, like Grenada or one of those. Grenada, one yeah. of them. Mm -hmm. He got his uh, MD degree from there. Now he's looking for residency. Three years. He still couldn't get it. So the physicians that are in that kind of situation, when they you know, come to the U.S. and they're looking, obviously, for either an observancy or um, a residency that they can begin you know, their final portion of their training, do they end up doing like your relative that you described earlier did, where they you know, take uh, research-type roles? What, do they, what is available for that person in that intervening time, which you know, sounds like, as you're describing, it can be a two- or three-, four-year-long process? So what opportunities are there that uh, that physician who may be listening right now who's in that situation, I'm in that place where I'm trying to find either an observancy or you know, match for a residency program, what can I do in the meantime? They really don't have anything, you know. Sometimes you get a research job, but they're not that many. So it's welcome to Walmart. Welcome to Walmart. Uh, you got that. Wow. Some that's, jobs that's, there. That's frustrating, I'm sure. It is frustrating. Yeah. And, and then this, these uh, physicians are not in foreign countries. They are in U.S. You know, I mean, the last one is U.S. citizen. He was born here. Yeah. Still has a hard time getting. So I think the main important thing I want to stress is we need to increase number of residency slots well, for everyone. And I was going to ask you about that. What I mean, is there anything in the works? Because, I mean, obviously it's very clear now to pretty much everybody, I would think, that we're, we have a shortage, even with the uh, availability of physicians who are trained abroad coming to the United States. So, you know, are there efforts underway to increase the number of residency seats somehow, some way, whether it's a privatized kind of version of that or through you know, interfacing with the government? See, Meg is working hard with local legislatures so that the Georgia can produce again another that kind of money so that we can support the residency program. So the state itself could actually help fund residency programs if Definitely. they build something into that. Right. Okay. But main thing is the money is going to come from federal government. So mm -hmm. we need to work with AMA and get more residency program. See, particularly we are producing more U.S. Med, uh, MD doctors, so they need residency slots too. So mm -hmm. that's the biggest uh, problem we have at this time. Yeah, and, and I'm hopeful that we're not short-sighted enough to say that, uh, well, we just want to try to reserve seats for our, you know, local locally trained physicians just because, again, we, we can't hide from the fact that there's more patients than doctors, even with both combined, with international physicians combined with our, you know, U.S. trained physicians. So, we still seem to have to be proactive to create seats just for the more physicians we can produce. I think, you know, if we can have enough U.S. Phys physicians, that's the best. But I think we, if you don't have it, I think we need to bring someone from outside. But my important thing is we need the residency for U.S. citizens, U.S. MDs, you know. 
Mm-hmm. We've been talking with Dr. Manaj Shah, an obstetrician and uh, gynecologist from Warner Robins, Macon area, also the president of Medical Association of Georgia, uh, and Kate Boyinga uh, in the uh, membership and marketing uh, department from the Medical Association of Georgia, learning about um, the challenges and, and benefits of having uh, our uh, internationally trained physicians joining us here in the U.S. workforce. Do you have any, you know, tips for the listener out there that may be one of those physicians? Um, You know, it sounds like when you're completing your training abroad that if you do well on the ECFMG, you know, testing, that obviously helps you at least a great deal, kind of like, you know, matching here. The better your grades are, the better you're going to be. So maximizing your, your scoring on those types of tests sounds like it's a key component to start the process. See, this is a matching program for everyone. Mm-hmm. So you apply for the hospital, hospital judge you, and you judge the hospital. Okay, okay this is number one, this is number two, and whenever you match, you get the matching results. And that's when you have to be more competitive, so you have a better score, you have more uh, observances, more uh, rotation with other physicians. Whatever you can do, it helps you. What's the process for a physician who's in that gap and they're the one that's looking for an observative type uh, relationship? Who, who provides the, the preceptorship, if you will? Who, you know, is it uh, a handful of people or is it something that you're, you're going to actually find a professional who's willing to do that function for you? I mean, what's that, what's that process like for finding that? There is not any organized process. Okay. So usually you have to find... So it's not like a school function, you know, or an academic function with, as part of a, a medical program. It's finding a physician who's willing to work with you. That's completely correct. We don't have any organized setup where you can go and sign up or anything like that. Hmm. Now, what's the... You, in, you know, as you've been, you know, in the medical community for a period of time here, um, you know... Are, are your colleagues generally un, uninterested in, you know, providing that type of preceptor role? I mean, I guess it's somewhat <coughs> challenging to have to kind of mildly be responsible and do some teaching while you're doing your thing, but... I, I, I don't think that's the problem. The pro- bottleneck is the residency. They're just not slots. Because even, even once they go through the observancy, you still got to wait. The slots are not there. I think the main thing we have to look at is the slots. Now, you know, if you look at it today, you know, 25% of the physicians are... IMGs in this country. Right. So most anybody will be taken care sometime by IMGs. <coughs> so what I'm thinking is the IMG needs to get involved more in the Medical Association of Georgia or uh, organize medicine. Take advantage of the fact that if I'm a member of the Medical Association of Georgia now, I have a voice for my situation. I have a voice for the for the you know the efforts and you know the challenges for my colleagues and I that are also IMGs, so that, you know, as you discussed, uh, you, you have kind of a caucus, if you will, of members within the Medical Association of Georgia who are inter- international medical graduates who can talk about the challenges and be able to identify where are the bottlenecks that you talked about and what are the things that we need to try to change. So, obviously, being a member of Medical Association of Georgia, you know, for one of those types of folks is, is an important way to be able to empower themselves with a voice. See, there is a... IMG section in uh, our Medical Association of Georgia. We developed that in 2005. So what it includes means uh, we have a section for medical students, we have a section for residents, same way we have now a section for international 
medical graduate. So we meet at least two, three times a year. Also, we have our annual meeting with uh, our House of Delegate meeting. And what we do is uh, try to promote what the IMG's interests are. 99% problems are the same for IMG or a U.S. physician. Right. We have same problem with funding as far as insurance company, how much they pay us. Right. Also, uh, malpractice. All the problems are same. Mm-hmm. Like one problem we had where U.S. graduate who do the f- one year of residency, he can g- apply for the license. While it used to be that IMG has to have three years. But we were able to change it. You know, working with the MAG, we were able to change it. Now the laws is the same for everyone. Oh, that's great. So, so IMG section did some for our, uh, for that IMG graduates. What I'm seeing is, I like to see is that they have to be active. They have to become a MAG members. I want them to be go to their county societies and become a secretary, treasurer, whatever, and come up and become a delegate. That's the only way you can represent yourself. And and do so even before you get in, you know, while you're still trying to find the observancy, while you're still trying to get into a residency. Be a member and be active and get involved in the process now, right? No, you, you can't be unless you're a licensed. Oh, you have to be licensed all the way before you get there. Well, back. but at, at a minimum, uh, you know, forgive my ignorance to that, but, uh, you know, the, the value of doing so, uh, you know, once you're there is, you know, there are people behind you that are going through the same things that no. you did. So you're going to be able to change the situation. No, most of the physicians, that 25% of the physicians are licensed. They're already here for a long time. So I'm talking about those we are here already mm-hmm. in in Georgia, about 4,500 physicians are of IMG origin. Total physicians are about 18,000. That's yeah. still a pretty significant portion of the group. That's true. Yeah. And, uh, you know, we have increased our membership in the last few years, about 12%. But I like to see them 50% membership, you know. So I wanted to see that all international medical graduates become part of the IMAG so that they can represent, we can work as an advocacy organization. Well, um, you know, while you're here, would you like to, you know, talk about, you know, the practice that you come from? I mean, I know our focus is on the international uh, medical graduate and and um, and our, our dealings with the Medical Association of Georgia, but you are from a practice. Um, would you care to, you know, talk a little bit about your practice real quickly before we sure. run out of time and have to go? So I'm a... Uh, I did my residency at Henry Ford Hospital in Detroit in obstetrics and gynecology. Then I went for nine years to Kentucky, and I'm in Georgia in Warner Robins for the last 30 years. And uh, we have three physicians and two midwives, and I've done lots and lots of deliveries. <laughs> You've delivered 7,000 plus babies. It's a lot of babies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just sitting here in awe of that. The town I lived in in Missouri uh, when I was growing, to, growing up in high school had just under 2,000 people in it. So you've delivered my town about three and a half times. It's <laughs> an interesting way to look at it. <laughs> That's pretty amazing. So it's it's been really great to get to sit and, and, and chat with you about the international medical graduate and, and the challenges that they face. Do you have some thoughts that uh, that you'd like to share with the listener out there, whether they're somebody that <coughs> might possibly be able to consider being a preceptor for, for somebody or, or, or somebody that's trying to go through the process? 
I mean, we'll be happy to help them in observatives. So, so if they can call me or our GAPI president, we'll be more than happy to work with them. Let me just talk about Medical Association of Georgia. This is a very important organization. This is the main advocacy organization for all the physicians in the state of Georgia. And there's some key things going on these days that uh, are worth having somebody out there talking on your behalf for, I can assure you of that. And uh, actually, we had a recently a survey in uh, 2014. They said 93% say uh, it's a leading voice Medical Association of Georgia is. 92% members believe that MAG is an effective advocate in legislative arena. 80% members say MAG has a positive effect on their career. And MAG was uh, on the James Magazine list for the top lobbyist association in Georgia in 2014, and again, second two times in two years in a row. So that means that the people that you're sending as delegates to interface with the you know the legislators whether whether it's state you know state or federal they're right. they're doing something for you for sure. Right. And actually, we go to you uh, United States and Washington D.C. and try to push our agenda. Yeah, it's not just uh, getting together with your colleagues and you know sharing a meal and you know sitting through a meeting or something. It's it, it's actually a very active group. I I know from my conversation with Donald Pomazano uh, a few months ago, getting to know you know a little bit more about the Medical Association of Georgia was one of the reasons why I was very pleased to link up with the association to kind of give a voice uh, through the media that would help share some of this key information because obviously it's important and and for our physician listeners out there who are not yet members of Medical Association of Georgia, you know, make sure you link up with one of the representatives, whether it's Kate Boyenga or uh, Dr. Shaw here, um, you know, Tom Gornagay and Donald Pomisano, the folks at Medical Association of Georgia, get your questions answered, find out what are the benefits for me uh, when I become a member of the association and what can I expect, how can I be involved, what can I do to affect my space. So, um, you know, obviously there's many thing, many key things that uh, that you're doing through the association. Um, any other thoughts that you have before we uh, have to jump off today? Uh, for any physicians that are interested in joining, uh, finding out the benefits about MAG, uh, you can go to www.mag.org, uh, and it'll list all of the member benefits. You'll be able to sign up, join, renew, uh, pay your dues, contribute to our PAC, uh, et cetera. And I know that you're on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. It's MAG1849. That's correct. And, um, you know, if you haven't tied in with our show's social media, we always link in with our guests, and we're already uh, tied into the Medical Association of Georgia's social media sites as well, so we make it easy to find uh, and get information from them. And if you haven't joined up with us on Twitter and Facebook, that's the only cost for being here. You all have to sign up with us, uh, link up with us on social media. But uh, we're at Top Docs on BRX on both Facebook and Twitter. And, of course, obviously I'm on LinkedIn uh, as uh, Charles Hall. I go by CW Hall here. But uh, I want to say thank you, Dr. Shaw and Kate. Uh, and I know that uh, both of you are very busy. You had to travel a little ways to come and, and share your information. So thanks so much for making time out of your busy office. Obviously, there's probably some folks in labor waiting for you to get back down uh, and to help them out today. So uh, we'll, we'll get you finished up so you can get back down there and take care of your patients. So thanks to the Medical Association of Georgia for being a partner with the show. Uh, we're very happy to be collaborating with them. And uh, for all you listeners out there, thanks for making us a part of your afternoon again today on Tuesday. We'll be back next week. 
on uh, Tuesday at 2.30. Thanks again, Krista. Appreciate it.